Making It Up, a weekly culture news podcast focused on analyzing and debating whatever comes up of interest in creative culture. I'm Sharice Poon, and my co-host is Eugene Can. The format of this podcast is like catch-up at the start, followed by two main items of news, one chosen by Eugene and one chosen by myself. We pick our topics from the Macon Briefing, which is an email we send out twice a week filled with current news, interesting links, and more. On Making It Up, we talk through the things we're most interested in and try to come to some sort of conclusion on the state of culture, media, tech, food, whatever it may be in our modern times. Also, if you like this podcast, the best thing you can do for it is share your favorite episode with a friend. We really appreciate it. So we haven't really received a lot of feedback on the new let's get right into it format. So I guess... It's generally been well-received. Yeah. At least no one hates it enough to email us and tell us, to DM us and tell us, which I guess is a good thing. I did once hear from a listener in the past, because you know how we do do those chapter markings? For anyone who doesn't see the chapter markings, we actually edit the podcast to show where our topics start so that if you want to skip the intro, you can. If you want to skip the first topic, you can. You can just go to the second subject instead. And I had a listener tell me that they just skip the intro all the time. Oh, okay. So maybe That's they never time. even knew because they just like automatically skipped to the first subject. Anyways, I'm going to get right into it. Yes. My subject this week is the rise of the caption fluencers. That's two words put together, caption influencers. <laughs> if it wasn't immediately evident. No, so. it's, it's such a, we didn't come up with this word, I want to say. Because I think yes. it is kind of a stretch. So this is a story that appeared in the New York Times that talks about the emergence of longer form captions. Still not long form in the sense that, hey, this is a 3,000 word essay. It's more like, hey, this is a 300 word caption. Yeah. Because naturally there are limitations to Instagram as a CMS, as I like to refer to it as. Because, uh, let me see. Have you ever encountered a caption moment where it was like, hey, you can't type anymore because you've hit the limit. I've done I that for messages. Not. Yeah, I don't think I've ever had that happen. I didn't realize that there was a limit. And you and I'm I have both sure written long captions before. I want to lead with this this sort of cerebral sort of, uh, what's the word to use? What's the word for something that's very like... Highbrow? Esoteric. esoteric or esoteric, esoteric, or esoteric? Uh, let's not debate that right now. Anyways, it's, the, the quote it's is, our question to the audience. So this is in reference to these people that write these these captions. Famous or possibly hoping to be, they are members of a course, voices resonating in supersized captions, some as long as 300 words, published not on Facebook or Tumblr, as you may suspect, but on their Instagram feeds. The reason why this is interesting is because typically you don't associate Instagram with being uh, a place to read things. It's generally speaking more of a, it's more of a, a photo sharing app. It's photo a visual and visual app. sharing app. Yeah. So the long form caption, however, isn't exactly honest. And according to Marcus Mesner, associate director of Richard T. Robertson's School of Media and Culture at Virginia Commonwealth University, it's seen more as though a bid for attention. It's a quest for connection and not incidentally, as he's noted, as a way to foster this kind of visceral engagement that photos alone cannot hope to command. And I think to kind of explain that a little bit, what they're trying to do is apply this almost like a one-two punch where you have a, a strong photo meets a strong caption 
And that in itself is a way for you to cut through the noise. Whether you read it or not is a different story, but I think once you see a long wall of text, I think immediately you're already thinking, hey, why is this person writing this much? That's my general consensus. Yeah, no, I agree. But I think it is interesting, the aspect of it being exploitative. It's kind of a emotional way of exploiting people's attention. Because like, as this New York Times article says, the captions are usually these like really charged narratives that are often about things that the individual is going through. Like they're not necessarily think pieces. They're more like these personal emotional stories, which I'm not negating. Like maybe they're real, but I think that is like the exploitative element is trying to like engage with you on an emotional level. I I have some other thoughts about that that I'll I'll add uh, towards the end there, but just to continue going through it. There's a quote from Claire Atchison, a branding strategist with Trout Creative Thinking out of Melbourne, Australia. And she says, ultimately, users are deeper than the glossy or like-for-like images that pervade their feeds. An image may first spark their curiosity, and then they seek to discover context, she said. Whether that be news-based narrative, op-ed commentary, or a personal account of experience that tells a fuller story and explains the why behind the image. I don't know if I ended that in a grammatically correct way, but hopefully you guys understand uh, what she's saying there. I think as I, as I look at it more and more, I also wonder if there is an actual division in the way the Instagram product has been created. <clears throat> and what I mean by that is, obviously, a few years ago, Instagram stories didn't exist. You kind of had Snapchat for that. But you, you've now seen that there appears to be quite a clear division between how you use both products. And before I go any further... What do you think is the way people generally use Instagram stories versus their feed? And what goes where for you? Okay, so what I observe is that things that are on your feed have more permanence. So they're meant to be more substantial because they're things that you people can refer back to. And a lot of times it might be things that are milestones or significant achievements And then things that are on your stories are of the moment and are kind of like toss away. So if you're traveling, it would be like holiday photos or like a restaurant you ate at that was good or just like throwaway kind of comments. And then like people also use it when they're bored. So I've seen people like ask questions and when they have like train rides or something, it's like, oh, have five hours free. Like people ask me questions and I'll answer them. Yeah. Does that further cement the need for something that with greater permanence or greater meaning for the feed. Has the introduction and popularity of stories made your feed that much more precious, which allows something like longer captions to actually have a more clear place? Interesting. I think it does go into the fact that other platforms are continually falling to the wayside. So even though I guess microblogging is having a resurgence, the platform in which microblogging is existing is Instagram and newsletters. So if you haven't evolved to like having your own listserv where you have people subscribe to your newsletter, you would be using Instagram for your longer thoughts. Yeah, and someone made the comment that Instagram is kind of like the new WordPress. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Do you like writing longer captions on Instagram? Well, I don't know if you remember this, but two or three years ago, like a while back now, you said to me that you felt like it was pointless when people post photos without any caption at all. Yeah, and I was thinking about that, and I I did go through a moment in time too, and it was actually quite recently where I went through the process of just 
removing that discipline and just putting things up for the sake of putting it up. Did you? Interesting. I mean, after I read this, I actually thought to myself, what happens if I return to a place where I put up things that I could only justify with some sort of deeper narrative on yeah. the feed? I mean, that, so was, I, that was your argument before. And I've kind of returned back to it. But I'm glad that I tried to remove that from... I tried to remove that 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 parameter and then ultimately I, I settled back on something I feel comfortable with. We had that discussion before. I I thought that had validity. For like for me personally, I was like, oh yeah, it, it doesn't really make sense. Like why am I posting just like an aesthetically pleasing photo? What pleasure do I get out of that? And like what pleasure do I bring anyone by posting that? So I I can't say that I write really long captions, but I do write multi-line captions. But a lot of mine yeah. nowadays, oh, I had a friend say that she didn't exactly call me a KOL, but she did say that she feels like my KOL inf- being influencer. Key opinion leader. For our Western for yeah. our Western friends. Yeah. Um, but she did say that my Instagram is like an exercise in personal branding as opposed to like being casual. And I agree with it. But one thing that is interesting because in many ways, Instagram's functionality in terms of captions doesn't really promote long form. Yeah, it really doesn't. Yeah, because like you can't even do a line break, right? I think that's the one thing that we we personally at Macon were struggling with because right. sometimes our captions were so limited, or we had to find like a hack to it. We and use a tool one, for yeah, everyone you out copy there. And paste, yeah, you copy and paste your thing in, or you write it in this text editor. You line break it as you want, and then for whatever reason, you just hit copy and it copies, and then you paste it. And um, it works, and you get line yeah. breaks. That's kind of stupid, in my opinion. Yeah, like the tool itself has not been built for long captions. Everyone is just like hacking around it. Yeah. I mean, also the fact that when you scroll through your feed, you have to tap to read more. But I think what is yeah. interesting about the division between IG stories and the feed is that I see people write a lot on IG stories too. Do you? Yeah, I I don't see as much. I see comparatively a lot less people do that. Maybe it depends on the kind of people we follow, but I see people really stringing together multiple frames and telling a story through putting text on multiple panels. So essentially people are making like small movies at this point. Oh. Interesting. Next time you see that, you have to let me know. I'd yeah, like to check we'll it out. Do. I only know one person that kind of does that. But again, I think like you were going to say more about the emotional exploitation. And I think that is like an interesting thing to talk about on this subject. Yeah. People are under the, the pretense. I, I think that we've seen this, this shift in, in terms of the social media landscape where we've now moved past the reality of life is not as pristine as the Instagram feed. Mm-hmm. Right. And these are good opportunities for people to kind of, now you can use these captions as a way to introduce sort of the personality and the reality behind situations, which is where we are aiming to go in terms of a a social media culture and society. There might be elements where people are probably going to use it and game it to their benefit as they always do. But I think all in all, like the, the general use cases for these longer form captions have come from a very personal place or they've just had some sort of deeper narrative to it that I think ultimately pushes people to, to reconsider how they create content for social media. 
That to me is probably the most interesting thing. I wonder if we'll become similarly immune or I don't know. Like, I wonder if these captions will also reach this point where they don't have an impact anymore. I've always said this. It's that when things become more difficult, the saturation point is more difficult. As in like, because the longer captions are a more complex product, it's less likely that we'll be saturated in them. It still can be saturated, but it's harder for you to saturate it because ultimately people that don't really have the the ability to do it will naturally not be able to be influential for their captions. If that mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. And I think like people, I think hopefully people still have like a good radar for real emotional writing versus writing that is trying to be emotional to get your attention to sell something, for example. Right after I read this article, I think it was, the thought lingered in my mind. I'm like, hey, maybe I should just use it as a personal exercise to write something. As I started doing it, I, I was also considering the fact, am I forcing this? Like I have, you know, I was at a friend's birthday last week or two weeks ago and I still haven't, not that I, that I need to post right away, but like, hey, like it'd be nice to pay homage to my friend who just had like a milestone birthday. What am I going to say about that? And is it actually something that I, that means something to me, right? Yeah. Or am I just doing it because, Hey, I'm forcing myself to engage in this exercise. Yeah. But maybe that's the thing too, is that the feed doesn't need to move as fast as Instagram stories. This thing I'm writing right now is probably still going to be as valid, you know, in four weeks. I'll just say, Hey, I, I have the chance to celebrate with my friend for her birthday and blah, blah, blah. And this is how it sort of played out. So I think once you remove immediacy from your mindset of creating, it almost becomes a lot more artistic. Yeah, I think so. And I don't think everything has to be immediately full of emotion and meaning. Like to use your birthday example, it would be false to say, oh, I went to this birthday party and now I'm reflecting on death and like, the impermanence of friendship. Do you know what I mean? Like that's yeah. forcing yourself to see something where it's not really what you felt or what you saw. But yeah. with time, eventually, like if you reflect on something that you've been through, you make connections and they might not be that kind of emotional visceralness that like this, the New York Times article gives examples of in terms of you know self-healing or depression, but you'll have something there. I think that is yeah. worth writing about. Based on all the social media platforms, whether it's Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, I mean, just because those are the ones that have the ability to write text, what do you think is the difference between those different platforms in terms of this type of long caption? Like, why do you think this same function or this same movement isn't picking up steam on Facebook, even though Facebook has traditionally been a little bit better for longer form written content? Huh. I don't know how to answer that question about Facebook because I'm not on it anymore. Well, I don't know. I've just been removed entirely. But maybe that is like also evidence of why it's not a trend because like if I'm not on it, I'm not exceptional. I'm sure other people are also like similarly disengaged from Facebook now. Yeah. But watch, I do really like Twitter threads. As much as there are like negative things about Twitter and you have to be careful about, you know, how much negative news you're consuming on it, Twitter threads are really great. And 
I think they actually have an advantage over long blog posts because people can respond to individual tweets if they have questions or comments. And I don't know, it's a pretty good medium. IG is not great for that either. Like IG is very still like one-sided. It's really hard to like respond to a long caption in a meaningful way and then to have like a back and forth in the IG comment section. It's, it's gotten better though with threading. It's gotten better, but it's just, it's not, it's again, it's not built for it. And actually I see, I see stories being used better in that way. So like if you do multi-page text on IG stories, then people can respond to like specific screenshots. And then this is also a hack, but I've seen people then share those IG DM conversations back on their stories. Mm. Yeah, it's funny because you know, we were kind of having this conversation before and it's sometimes the the actual aesthetics don't matter that much, right? It's like, what is the the ultimate sort of message that's being disseminated? And that becomes a more important element to consider. Yeah, yeah. I think overall, it's exciting to see people engage with words and not just images in new ways. Like, I, I guess it makes me hopeful that people still enjoyed writing and reading, regardless of what the material is. Like, it's yeah. nice to think that just a photo or videos without voices is not a complete story. Not yeah. to knock photos and videos, but I think, I don't think it's enough on its own. Yeah, I kind of like the ability to have multiple mediums as, as creative tools. And, you know, sometimes when you write longer captions, it kind of forces you to actually think about why something's meaningful to you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, going back to, to my personal example, if I'm forcing myself to only share things that I think I have a point of view or mean something to me, it does also change the way I, th- I create things. Maybe it changes what I create. Yeah. So in, in, in some ways it's like, okay, this, this is, my let's say I'm I'm someone that goes and, and sees a nice sunset. I know that the sunset itself is probably the obvious choice, but if I don't have a real reason as to why I should capture it, maybe I still capture it, but it's, it's not really something I feel the need to share. Yeah, I like that. I like the idea that because you're already thinking about the framing of something or what it looks like when you publish it, it's going to affect your creation of it to begin with. I think that's a good place to move to our next subject. My topic today is the new Muji Hotel, which has recently opened in Tokyo's Ginza Ward. We published this on Making News and you wrote this line, I believe, that the hotel falls under the philosophy of, quote, anti-gorgeous and anti-cheap, which I actually don't think is true, Eugene. Where did you get that quote from? No, that, that anti-gorgeous, anti-cheap is their quote. Is it really? Oh, I yeah. don't know, man. That's how, they, that's how they describe themselves. I, I think it's both gorgeous. Oh, wait, hang on. Anti-gorgeous, anti-cheap. Okay, it is expensive. Yeah, but it is also gorgeous. So I question their own description of themselves. But to give people some more facts. Gorgeous might also be just on the basis of how you personally describe something. 
like frivolous? I would say that it's not. I would say that, yeah, gorgeous to me is is over the top. Okay, okay, got it. Like gaudy. And by anti-cheap, I see it as, what's the opposite? I think value. Right, right? so it's not cheap like money cheap. It's like cheap as in product cheap. That makes more sense. There's value in a Muji product and it's also not gorgeous and over-designed for the sake of wanting to convey aesthetics. Ah, right, because it's functional and high quality. Yes. Huh. English language is so funny. You can interpret adjectives in loads of ways. Anyway, to give people a couple more facts, there are existing Muji hotels in Shenzhen and Beijing, and this is the third one. The new hotel has 79 rooms in over nine different layouts. It's actually on top of like a mega Muji store where the Muji store has like a bakery and diner and five floors that consist of more than 7,000 Muji merchandise options. And then above that is the hotel portion. Each room is for either one guest or one to two guests. The mattresses are based on sleep and posture research and they have lighting elements encouraging natural sleep cycles. Just to say that like they've thought about the experiential side. It's not just a hotel room full of Muji products. And I think also the layouts are really interesting. Like they have nine different layouts to kind of suit different guests and guest lifestyles. I looked this up because I thought people would be curious. A double room type B, which is one of the cheaper ones for two adult guests costs 27,900 yen for one night. And that's 250 USD. So... That probably is kind of in the general sort of business traveler range, I'd say. Yeah, it's not... I would say that's about right. It's not for the person who is staying at hostels, though. I find it difficult to believe that like a young person who would be picking a hostel can then upgrade themselves to the Muji Hotel, financially speaking, even if they wanted to. I think what is interesting to me is not just that it's a Muji hotel, but that it's also on top of this mega Muji mall. And I just wonder about the effect of stepping inside of that building. In fact, I wonder like your whole encounter with that building, what it's like. It's like being in a theme park almost. Yeah. I mean, it could Do you see worse. what I mean? Because it's kind of like... Aesthetically, totally different, but it is kind of like stepping into Disney World where you're suddenly surrounded by everything was considered by Disney and all the products are Disney brand and IP. And then the hotel room also has like Disney elements and you're just like soaking in Disney. So what's interesting to me, thinking about my Disney metaphor, is that Muji is not in my mind the kind of company that you are this fangirl fanboy of, but the fact that there's now this whole like building dedicated to it, it gives me that feeling. Well, I mean, I think that the the brand element to me, what's fascinating is that the whole hotel industry has been turned upside down in a sort of Airbnb world. But brands themselves have generally done a good job of providing value beyond what they're originally known for. Obviously, Muji has traditionally been known for just sort of being a lifestyle brand that, are, that around consumer products. 
Mm-hmm. Now this changes the whole thing fundamentally because now not only can you eat Muji food, which they've had for a while with cafes, you can actually sleep in a Muji environment, right? Yeah. And what's interesting to me is that I always personally thought of Muji as very functional. You know, it's like a economically in terms of their house good products, it's fine. Like it's an affordable option. It's kind of like Ikea to me in the sense that like, oh, it's serving a purpose and it's very practical, but with the food and with the hotel and with this like entire building, it becomes, what's a better example than Disney? Like it it becomes something that you can be a follower of. Kind of like how you're a supreme follower maybe because you basically essentially what you're doing is you're conveying what type of person i mean this is this is not revelational it's like now you have the ability to to create yet another opportunity to convey to the world what type of person you are right yeah like, that's what it comes down to it's true and and i wonder because in many ways you don't really promote the fact that you're staying at an airbnb it's assumed when you stay at a place that doesn't look like a hotel, right? This gets into my so, question. A question I had for you is like, what do you look for in your staying accommodations? Like, does is flossing actually a part of it? I think it is something that you want to have as a potential outcome, but it's not something that I really care about because it really comes down to what is the actual need at hand. Like, if you're traveling and you're looking to relax, and yeah, you probably want a nicer place, but if you're looking to travel and be engaging in the city's, you know, sights and sounds or whatever, then you probably want to pick location, for example. Yeah. So I think that all plays into it. Now the thing that I'm interested in sort of unpacking is what is the what is the the battle that that's sort of emerging between that Airbnb opportunity versus the safety and potential social currency of staying at a branded hotel. I actually happen to have a current piece of news. Can't really fall under culture news, but it is about Airbnbs. I don't know if you saw this, but there was a family from New Zealand who traveled to Ireland and then they're staying in an Airbnb and the father was scanning the Wi-Fi networks in the house and he discovered a hidden camera that was broadcasting a live feed of the house. That's creepy. I know. It's crazy. I, I put a CNN link in the show notes for you. This is like new news. Like, um, I think it was published a day ago, yesterday. So that's a good reason to stay in a hotel. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's the latest in Airbnb scandals. Airbnb scandals are not new because it obviously it's like really hard to regulate all of these people who are opening houses and offering accommodation. You don't know that. Yeah, you don't do you know mean? any of that stuff. Yeah, oh sorry. Like you would yeah, you can't vet your you can't vet every single person. Okay. Like you can try yeah, and they I thought can you were challenging measures. me, but yeah, 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 I agree. Yeah, you can do your best, but it's really hard. Like for example, yeah. this with the hidden yeah. cameras. I mean, that's like a really good argument for staying in a hotel, which is like some assurance of quality control and accreditation. What type of person do you think would stay at a branded hotel? I'm still thinking about what type of person specifically is going to stay at the Ginza Muji Hotel. I mean, location-wise, Ginza's not great either. Yeah, I don't think Ginza's that great. That's more like a business thing. For I, 
The times I go to Tokyo, I usually stay in the Shibuya Shinjuku area. But even then, there's, I mean, this is less about what, what area to stay in, but yeah,、um, I think it's just interesting to think because there's actually another example of a brand hotel that's, that, that's popped up relatively recently. The、it? Shinola one in Detroit. It's not that new. The what? It's been, it's been a while. Shinola Detroit、oh, Hotel. Oh, okay. And、um, they've actually received a lot of rave reviews. And it almost feels as though Shinola as the hotel. Has separated itself from Shinola, the watch fashion lifestyle brand.、That's、Because、so、I think there was a little bit of controversy around. It's almost as though a positive Shinola hotel experience has fundamentally changed how it's perceived as a brand overall, regardless of some of the other controversies of the past where, oh, like you're kind of like a fake ass, like Detroit wannabe brand or. Your watches aren't entirely made in America, et cetera, whatever that is.、I've, I mean, you would need to fact check exactly what that is, but that's sort of the general gist of it, as in there's a, a level of controversy around it. But that's the thing is, at, at what point, I'm, I'm, I'm just very curious how brands see this opportunity, because I think what you're seeing now more than ever is that physical spaces are allowing you to further cement and reinforce what your brand represents. And what better way? Than to actually see you through some of the most important parts of one's kind of daily cycle. And that's like the sleep and the privacy of sleep and、uh, having a place to stay when you're visiting somewhere. I mean, there's no better embodiment of lifestyle than a place that you actually have to live in. There, like, it's untoppable versus like someone coming in and like renovating your entire home. You know, go back to that initial question of like, who stays at a branded hotel? The thing that comes to mind is like someone with a lot of curiosity who is intrigued by whether a branded experience gives you something different from a similarly priced, you know, Hyatt brand, Marriott brand, like those umbrella hotels.、Mm-hmm. I'm not like, not, not like a specific Hyatt or Marriott, but like, you know, legacy hotels. Hmm. Yeah, or a big fan of the brand. Where,、yeah. where if you have always supported Muji and you've always bought Muji products, you would be really excited about the fact that you could just be surrounded by that ethos.、Yeah. All these periphery verticals, whether it's hotels, cafes, like I think we all superficially understand that, hey, this is a really important part of the experience. But actually, you know what? Muji cafes and whatnot, I think that they have to be successful on the basis that I think it's in part a marketing cost, but also if you, well, there is no have to, but if you look at the success of the food component of IKEA, right?、Mm-hmm. Like already that's a sort of validation of what you can do. And I originally thought, hey, maybe Muji will do these very like affordable, relatively affordable hotel rooms that will be. Really, in the ethos of like, hey, you know what? Maybe we're just a little bit more expensive. I mean, I don't really know what the average price of a hotel in Ginza is, but knowing what you know, you're able to go in there and basically subsidize a marketing cost.、Um, I think it could be more expensive than what they're charging. Because Ginza is basically like the business area. Yeah, it's like on par with the area. You can definitely、yeah. go cheaper, but I would say it's like on par with a similar level.、Um, yeah. 
I was going to ask you whether there are any other brands you would like to see this happen with or whether you can immediately think of brands where this would work well. Like you could see them translating into a hotel slash entire like building complex, which is what Muji's done. Yeah, yeah. like part of me is trying to think like, does a popular brand lend itself towards a hotel experience? I mean, Muji just like, works you can really good because it's home goods. It has everything. Like you can shoehorn everything, but take a really f- popular, famous fashion brand. Like there's Armani like hotels or whatever. <laughs> I mean, that comes to mind. But Louis Vuitton. for sure, you would have people. Yeah, I think Vuitton would would definitely work. I think one one area that would be interesting would be how media companies run hotels. <laughs> Eugene, like how would the Eugene, New York Times media run companies a can't hotel? even run their own media. Right now, financially, how are they ever well, going to yeah. run a hotel? Uh, okay, I fine. Mean, New York Times. I'll entertain this. What would a New York yeah. Times hotel look like? Just aesthetically, like I don't really see it working immediately. Like it's very hard to. I like, think it would not be like. I think a New York Times hotel to me would probably look a little bit stale, but I think the content within the hotel would be really good and very purposeful and very thought out. I would expect a New York Times hotel to like have a really good concierge. Yeah, they would have to know everything inside out. Well, because that's their asset, right? Like that's what they bring is that they do do travel, and so they have a lot of information about like the location you're staying in. And but they would also have access to what is essentially the best of the best. Yes, that's true. You know what I mean? Like they don't. The New York Times doesn't need to know how to make a bathrobe. They just need to know who makes the best bathrobe. That's true. That's true. That's what I'm saying. Like that's why media companies have an interesting take on it because they have the ability to just understand and see everything. Yeah, I can see what you mean. And the programming would be really solid. They would be able to kind of forecast trends in a certain capacity as well as control trends. Personally, as a traveler, I would be more likely to pick the Muji Hotel because experientially, I feel like it would just be more enjoyable to be staying in a super nice bed and like really thoughtfully created room as opposed to the New York Times. The New York Times should do that too. No, but I'm sure they've done an interview with someone. They would be like curatorial, right? Yeah. Their strength is this curatorial aspect and no, like you said, like knowing who's who and like what's good. But Muji actually designs everything. Is it possible that people will get sick of Muji? Is it too much branding? No, I don't think so. Because hotels are not an everyday occurrence. Despite the fact that it's not just a hotel. It's like on top of this mega store. With a library and restaurant. And If you're interested in the brand, you probably are okay with it being there. I also wonder, how do you get sick of a brand that has so many touch points? Like, it's not food, right? So it's like, oh, I I could have a different reason... To, or I would I would want to try something different tomorrow and the day after versus eating the same thing. But I think that once you have such a diversity of offerings, you actually can draw it out a bit a bit further along. Should we just run through some general housekeeping things? Sure. All right. So this past week or so, we posted Henry Canyons. Yeah. Who is a, a rapper based in LA, but originally from the East Coast in the United States. I think actually, you know, what's, what's most fascinating is that conceptually he did a good job of encapsulating that 
I, the title of the piece is The Well of Knowledge. And the way he looks at the creative process is that throughout your career, you start with an empty well and you're filling it with ideas, thoughts. And as those ideas and thoughts need to be retrieved as what he said, water, and you're like, you're, you're watering your plants or whatever, and you're, you're tending to them. That's where all these things you've been sitting on actually materialize into something tangible. And I thought that was actually a really powerful quote. It makes like a lot of sense too. And I'm, I, I'm a, I'm always really big on analogies, like ones that you're like, Hey, that's a really good analogy. It makes sense. And I thought the photo, the photos are really good too. Photos are really good. Yeah. By Cody the James. The photos by, yes. Shout out. And the interview yeah. and editing by Alec Rose. And we also did a story with Celine Pham, who is a chef and she runs, I guess you could say it's almost like this um, food consultancy and event company called Family First, based around their back, based on their, her and her brother, their last name's Pham, P H A M, and it's called Family First. It's pretty, pretty witty. But, you know, it's well, interesting when I do this puns. interview. I love me some puns. When I was doing this interview with her, it was, Interesting to just hear it from her perspective on the challenges of working in a, a French kitchen. I, I don't say yeah. French is in French food so much as like a place that has such a strong pedigree around food and how serious they take it. Cause she would say like, Hey, you know what? It was, it was pretty real. It's like, Oh, the, like they're always touching you. They're always yelling at mm-hmm. you. It's like a lot of, there's a lot of aggression and abuse and yeah. it's kind of comes with the territory in a way. But now, you know, she's left that world and she does her own thing and she does food on her own terms. And it's just interesting to see like how a a topic in general, if you modify how you interact with it, can actually make a world of a difference. Yeah, it's actually interesting. There's a phrase that she uses, she translates to English from French called burning the steps. And mm-hmm. it, she talks about, I mean, you were there in the interview, but I like what she says about going through a po- process and doing it well and doing it quickly and getting through to the end of it and then being better from reaching the end. And one thing that we've really started to carve out is like our news section. This is something that has been a big difference. Like ever since we relaunched the site, we've kind of found our footing like in terms of cadence and are you familiar with this concept of finishable content? No. So basically, it's media that is conceived in a way where it's not inundating you with stuff. So it's like, hey, on any given day, you'll be able to finish all the stuff we create and present I to you. I see. I see. It's kind of it's kind of like the Instagram. Oh, you've reached the end of your feed. You've seen everything. Do you know what's so interesting about? It's weird to like refer to us and then comment on like ourselves being interesting. I feel like we're doing a lot of back padding here. But with the news, the update log is wait, was this intentional? This the is intentional, news flash. right? No, not just the news flash, but the update log you have at the end of the news flash. Yeah, that was intentional. It's really interesting. Okay, so people, if you're unfamiliar, we have this new it's kind of weird calling it an editorial product because it almost as though it's like more complex than it is. But it, I mean, editorial products, if you're unfamiliar, it's like, what are you designing in terms of a feature or a function, 
a type of story that you can apply to your content or to the community or whatever. I kind of made that up on the fly, but basically it's like, it's like any other product. It's like things that wrap around content, right? And the one that we launched was called just newsflash and the flash is an emoji. And one of the reasons why I, I felt it was necessary was that, you know, ultimately in the old making, we just didn't have enough uh, opportunity to react quick enough. It's like, hey, stories were stories, right? Those took a long time to create a lot of original content. You had, and then you had the make and briefing, which was Mondays and Thursdays. And that was more of a closed environment thing where you had to be signed up, et cetera. It wasn't really public facing. But now, you know, with, with something like this, you can react a lot quicker and you can also address things that maybe don't really have a, a point of dissection. And I don't know if you, if you've personally made this sort of uh, analysis, but a lot of stuff are that we post within the newsflash are really just about, Hey, this is a bit of news that you should be aware of. Uh, it's, it has a strong headline, but there is no real sort of point of analysis that we find that yeah. interesting enough to pursue. I mean, I and know it can also be is. things that are political too. Yeah. Some things you just read because you need to know what's happening. So actually what sort of reignited this interest in documenting the progression of something is this uh, this link shared by Nirmala Shomi, which pertains to Arena's roadmap. And Arena, if you're unfamiliar, it's this social media platform for creators. And it was just really cool to see their roadmap and a sense of transparency around where they are and where they want to go. And for me too, it's like, I want you to know what's informing our thinking around things. And hopefully you can understand how how things come to be. And like, if something is going in this direction, this is why we're thinking about it yeah, this way. It's or just this trying is how to give more context to decisions wherever we can, rather than trying to hide why things happen or what we're doing. Yeah. And interestingly enough, the newsflash does quite well on social media. Like in terms of clicks, not... I don't think you're going to like it, you know what I mean, in that sense, but you'll no. you'll interact with it. I think that was a good place to cap things off for the day. If you are interested in hearing more about Megan, reading and listening to some of our stories focused on the sights and sounds of creative culture, you can visit us at Megan.com. You can also subscribe to us through your favorite podcast app and platforms. If you like this podcast, you can do us a huge favor by reviewing us on iTunes or sharing this podcast with a friend. Also, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email myself at Sharice at Macon.com, C-H-A-R-I-S, or Eugene at Macon.com, E-U-G-E-N-E. But the easiest way to get in touch is to DM us on Instagram at Macon. We love hearing from you. I'm Eugene. I'm Sharice. And this is Making It Up. <laughs>